Charles Bukowski, Consummation of Grief. Helplessly Hoping by Crosby, Stills, and Nash continues. Certain to tell you, confusion has its cause. Angel and Lena, past Cain. Continuing the oft-repeated doubling motifs, Lena stands with the green bedroom wall to the right behind her and a white portion she has just painted to the left. Continuing the oft-repeated, it's not exactly lens flare, Though that, that happens too, often this film directs the camera toward a bright light when normally you would not, because that might disrupt the shot or distract the viewer. Here, Lena has a lamp on the floor, its shade removed. In a previous shot last minute, we could see the lamp, but it was not so disruptively bright. Now, it flares a little between Lena and the plastic-draped wardrobe. Lena is visible, but deliberately not well lit. Her breathing is strange. Like she cannot decide to scream, to cry, to speak. She walks toward Kane. She hugs him. The script takes this moment farther than it needs to be. The film practices some self-control. In the script, Lena puts a hand on his cheek in the way she might touch a clear window to see if it holds a pane of glass. Love is in lying. Reverse, and we can tell if it was not immediately obvious. Kane is not hugging her in return. He is emotionless, still, but not as if he does not like being hugged, more like he does not understand being hugged. It's loose in a lady who lingers behind Cain again, saying she is lost. Reverse again, Lena pulls back. Then she grabs his face with both palms, the script says, kissing him as she talks. Lena, oh God, oh God, I thought you were gone, gone forever forever. But she doesn't say this. The script says she's crying, laughing. He isn't. She is no longer crying and is not laughing. And choking on hello. Behind Kane again, she kisses him one more time. Lena. Kane? The chorus kicks in. Lena embraces Kane again. They are too her eyes are open. If she had not realized it before now, she also realizes Kane is not hugging her in return. They are three together. The film cuts abruptly to a glass of water on the table. We do not get the final line of the chorus. They are four for each other. glass of water on the table. Kane's hand refracted, so he is touching his own hand. But before we get to this, the script cuts to the two of them falling down to the paint-flecked plastic sheet over the double bed. Lena on top, pulling off her shirt, pulling at Kane's belt and trousers. 
they start making love. But her passion remains completely unmatched by him. He is glazed and distant, no more than compliant. Until finally, she has to acknowledge it. She breaks off, hurt, confused, looking down at him. Lena, King? Interior, house, slash kitchen, night. Second 32, our establishing shot is not the wide shot, but the insert. The glass of water. Silence. Then second 37, angle on Kane. Kane sits at the table. In front of him is a glass of water. He stares at the clear liquid, but doesn't drink it. Second 39, he makes the slightest of moves with his right hand, which rests on the table near the glass. He lifts his fingers just barely, then puts them back down. In the moment, we might not notice it. In retrospect, maybe he is concentrating on the hand to figure out how he would pick up that glass if he were really Kane. How do fingers work? How do hands work? I find myself reminded of Girl Interrupted, Susanna Kaysen. Quote, Instead, I looked at my hand. It occurred to me that my palm looked like a monkey's palm. The crinkly of the three lines running across it, and the way my fingers curled in, seemed simian to me. If I spread my fingers out, my hand looked more human. So I did that. But it was tiring, holding my fingers apart. I let them relax. And then the monkey idea came back. I turned my hand over quickly. The back of it wasn't much better. My veins bulged, maybe because it was such a hot day. And the skin around my knuckles was wrinkly and loose. If I moved my hand, I could see the three long bones that stretched out from the wrist to the first joints of my fingers. Or perhaps those weren't bones, but tendons. I poked one. It was resilient, so probably it was a tendon. Underneath, though, were bones. At least I hoped so. I poked deeper to feel the bones. They were hard to find. Knuckle bones were easy. But I wanted to find the hand bones, the long ones going from my wrist to my fingers. I started getting worried. Where were my bones? I put my hand in my mouth and bit it to see if I crunched down on something hard. Everything slid away from me. There were nerves, there were blood vessels, there were tendons. All these things were slippery and elusive. I began scratching at the back of my hand. My plan was to get hold of a flap of skin and peel it away, just to have a look. I wanted to see that my hand was a normal human hand, with bones. My hands got red and white, but I couldn't get my skin to open up and let me in. I put my hand in my mouth and chomped. Success. A bubble of blood came out near my last knuckle, where my incisor had pierced the skin. End quote. What did Cain look like walking all the way home? Did he start like a baby deer or a human toddler, wobbly and unsteady? Did he get better at it with each step? If he were to remain at home with Lena now, if there was no bleeding, no call for help, no secret government organization sending its agents to retrieve him, how many days would it take before his behavior was closer to normal? At what point would Lena suspect it was not just post-traumatic stress disorder? At this point, might it even be diagnosable as such? Emotional numbing is such a common piece of PTSD that it is hard to find the right source to talk about it, but for example, Kathy Robichaud describes in PTSD, A Wife's Journey, MightyOaksPrograms.com, quote, Over the next three years, our marriage would grow distant. My children and I would walk on eggshells knowing that he would blow up at any given moment. The emotional abuse began to take a toll on all of us. I got to a point that I no longer had anything left to give. My cup was empty. He wasn't hearing or feeling my love anyway. He was numb. 
I didn't know at the time that one symptom of PTSD was emotional numbness, and boy, did he have that towards me. End quote. There hasn't been time enough yet for this dichotomy of numbness and blowing up, but Kane sits at the table. Lena remains by the kitchen counter. A table, a chair, and room to maneuver between herself and this man who was her husband. One could imagine that as a former soldier herself, the film has not told us this explicitly, but we have seen that one photo. Lena and Kane both in uniform. She expects that this exchange could go wrong. Plus, physical distance in film is an easy visual. Lena does not know what to expect from this man, but also this man is not really a man. This thing called Cain was born in the last year. It became this adult male and it felt an urge to go home. It made its way home. It found a wife. It can probably not even specifically recall. This is no invasion of the body snatchers. This is not some antagonistic doppelganger infiltrating Cain's life. It is a nearly blank slate trying its best to live Cain's life, to be Cain. But by the time this doppelganger came to be, Cain had already been a soldier, had already had his wife cheat on him, had gone on what he very well probably knew was a suicide mission. And then he was copied. He returns home like Odysseus, unrecognizable. Karen O'Donnell, research fellow in digital pedagogy, Durham University, explains, in reference to Jonathan Shea's book, Odysseus in America, Combat Trauma, and the Trials of Homecoming, quote, After victory at Troy, it takes Odysseus ten years to make it home. And when he does, he is a different man. Quite literally, thanks to the disguise he wears. He is emotionless and blank in the face of his wife's distress. He mistrusts those around him and is uncomfortable in a crowd. The valid adaptations to danger which kept Odysseus safe during wartime have persisted into a time of safety. This is a classic experience of PTSD. Odysseus has suffered the three traumatic ruptures of self, time, and cognition. End quote. Second 42, Angle on Lena. Lena stands by the counter, the dining room side of the peninsula that divides it from the kitchen. Nothing exciting in the kitchen, just your usual. A coffee maker, a bottle of wine, a dish drainer, a plant, etc. A bowl of apples sits on the counter right behind her. The door beyond her is open. Perhaps Kane came in through the side door and not the front. The script tells us confusion has transformed now into frustration and anger. In the script, Lena opens with this. You must, you must be, able be able to tell, to tell me something. You managed off the face of the earth for 12 months. 12 months. I, I deserve a better explanation than no explanation. Kane doesn't answer. In the film, rather than her opener for this interrogation, this comes over a minute later. A demand after there have been no answers, rather than a presumption of conversation we have missed. Second 45, she speaks. Lena. No one knew anything about your unit. I contacted everyone. Everyone I could. The other partners knew just as little as me. Second 53, Angle on King from hallway. He hasn't moved, but he also is not completely in the shop. The doorway cuts down the center of it. Additionally, it is only now that I notice that the chairs around the table are a mismatched set. All plain wood, but each a slightly different shape. No response. Second 57. Angle on Lena. Beat. Lena. Was it covered? And time runs out for this one. I will leave you with this. Ben Kuchera, 
writing for Polygon, 30th December, 2018. Quote, We are the sum of our experiences and memories. When those experiences, whether it's losing someone to cancer or dealing with infidelity in a marriage, change the basic core of our personality, what is the likelihood that our loved ones are going to accept what we've become? The rates of divorce in the United States answer that question for us. The real surprise. Annihilation ends with an embrace. If the arc of the film is about experiencing trauma and coming to terms with the new self it creates, and the dialogue doesn't reject this reading in the slightest, then the ending provides a look at how to deal, in a healthy way, with people reshaped by pain. You can greet each other as strangers, and accept each other on those terms, even if the original relationship doesn't survive. End quote. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Annihilation.